hey friends, it's January the 11th. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. I hope you have a good midweek day today. We are starting another episode of Enough for Today. Thanks for joining me. And we're in Psalm 69, and we're picking it up in about verse 13, back half of 13, going into 14 and 15. So David is in a difficult time, and he's got a lot of enemies, and he's lost everything, but he still loves God, and he knows God loves him. So he says, as for me, my prayer is unto thee. That's a good start. O Lord, in an acceptable time. He relinquishes the time, the timeline to God. He says, oh God, now look what he's going to do. He's going to embed his heart and psyche and his mind into the realities of God. In the multitude of thy mercy, hear me. So David knows he's the object of God's mercy and God is merciful. And so based not on his goodness, but on God's mercy, not on David's goodness, David's not saying, hey, I'm good enough to be heard. He's saying, you're merciful enough to hear me. And that's a salvation posture. That's a gospel posture. Because the gospel says we're all sinful. None of us can deserve or earn God's favor or hearing or righteousness or forgiveness. We come on the basis of his mercy provided through Jesus, the full expression of his mercy. So in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. So David says, I know God is merciful, so he's going to hear me. And I know I am anchored in an indelible truth. No matter what I lose circumstantially, I am anchored in the indelible truth of his salvation. I am his and he is mine. Deliver me out of the mire. Let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of deep waters. So remember, we're dealing with poetry and metaphorical imagery. imagery. But this is where <clears throat> terms and topography and geography and history all kind of come together in theology. Deliver me out of the mire, okay? We're going to see a lot of terms here in the next few verses about water, floods, being overwhelmed by water, uh, mire, sinking, um, a pit, uh, being overflowed, swallowed up. Um, I'm trying to see if that's it. So all of these terms refer to really one thing, and it's pretty cool. <clears throat> when you go to the Holy Land, and if you've never been, we'd love for you to go with us on a group trip sometime. I think our next group trip will be uh, early March 24, so 14 months from now. <clears throat> um, that's, that's what we're looking at. But when you go to the Holy Land and you visit the sites of ancient cities or ancient villages, every single ancient village that I've been to, and I've been to now dozens of them, <clears throat> when you walk around the ruins... Some of them are not even excavated, and you really kind of have to watch your step. Uh, but um, when you walk through these areas, there are pits. I, I kid you not, there are pits. You'll be walking through, through grass or through solid rock, and all of a sudden there'll be a hole uh, you know, this, this size, and literally a deep hole. <coughs> um, on a recent trip, we were at an unexcavated city. It's called Jezreel. And we decided to go ahead and walk up the height of that and just look at the top. And we were walking on the top of this, what's called a tell. It's a, it's a mound that is a city underneath all this grass and weeds and dirt that's built up over hundreds and hundreds of years. Only parts of this tell were excavated, but the excavation did not continue. And it's just, it's just fenced off. So we kind of passed through the fence and we began to climb. And the friend that I was with 
we were in a hurry. We weren't going to go all the way across the tell, but he started to run across the tell. And I, I said, well, if you're going, I'm going. And I just started to run behind him. And we got across the tell to the other side and climbed up a brick uh, uh, ruins, uh, these stone walls. We were standing on top of the stone walls and enjoying the view. And this was the gate of the ancient city of Jezreel. We're looking north into the Valley of Megiddo, Valley of Jezreel, same valley. Uh, we're looking, is, I just want to pause and tell you about this view. We're looking uh, to one side was the Hill of Moray and Mount Geboa. Uh, I'm sorry, no, 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 um, uh, Mount Tabor. Hill of Moray, Mount Tabor. Behind us was Mount Gilboa, where Saul was killed. And to our left was the city of Megiddo. And uh, to, our, to our back was to the city of Beit Shan, Decapolis, the Jordan Valley. Uh, and it, it's quite a vast expanse. Uh, to our left also was the uh, spring of Gideon and the valley of uh, Moray where the battle against the Midianites occurred. So it's really this historic spot. Um, <clears throat> well, as we decided to come down and walk back, we came across a spot, an area where all these pits were. And uh, they were deep. I mean, they, they, I'll tell you what they were in a minute, but they were deep. And they're just there. Some of them in, in different cities are covered up with a grate or they're marked out with stakes or a post or some kind of marker. But in this spot, they, many of them were just wide open. <clears throat> and he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, man, what were we thinking running across this tell? You know, and literally we were just running like it, like it was a, a football field. It was kind of silly. <clears throat> but anyway, what are these pits and why are they there? Well, they're called um, cisterns. And in ancient cities, um, the water supply was critical. And there was typically a spring nearby or, or, or fresh flowing water. But if not, there were wells that were dug. Um, and, and if not wells, then um, they would collect natural rainwater. And even where there were wells and springs, they would still go to strategic places around the outskirts of the city, and especially where there was bedrock. And they would carve out the rock. And I can't imagine the amount of time this would take. It was an extensive project. They would, they would, it's like digging a, a well a little bit in a rock, but it's basically a container. It's a, it's a, it's a water storage unit, but it's a natural one. <clears throat> and they would sometimes dig these out way out into the rock, and they would have several openings. There was one area we went to. There were four or five openings to this pit. And I'm talking about deep, 20, 30, 40 feet deep cisterns and maybe even more. Well, over the years and the centuries, these cisterns, as they held rainwater, as they held natural flowing water, as they would carry water up from the springs and fill the cisterns, <clears throat> there was silt in the water that would generally build up on the bottom of the cistern. And it would build up over decades and decades and centuries and centuries. And we're talking about hundreds of years, 800, 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 years, these cisterns would be operable. And um, over time, <coughs> these pits would become mire. And during drought, <coughs> excuse me, they would just become, the bottom would just fill up with mud. And literally, if you fell into these pits, you, number one, you couldn't get out because there was no mechanism of getting out. And they were 20 and 30 feet up. And number two, you would sink into the mire. And sometimes that mire, you read about Bible characters, it would come up. They would sink all the way in it, and, and they would fear getting swallowed up in it. <clears throat> or even if they hit bottom with their feet and, and the mire would come up really high, they were stuck. They were swallowed up in this mire. It, it's kind of hard for us to understand this, 
uh, in a modern context, you know, like how many pits are there in your city? <clears throat> but these were plentiful in the cities around Israel and the villages around Israel in the land. Uh, and they went back. You remember this land was occupied for hundreds of years before, thousands of years before David came on the scene. So there's even abandoned spots where there were cities or villages or camps or, uh, or you know, people living at one point. So there's pits where nobody knew there was pits. And um, David is saying right now, and I got to wrap up. I'm sorry I took so long on this. Um, David's saying, I'm in a pit. I'm in a pit of God's choosing. God's allowed me to be in this pit. And he's saying, God, I want you to deliver me out of the pit. I know I'm the object of your mercy, so I know you're going to intervene. I know I'm standing on the bedrock of your salvation, so I know I'm not going to die here in terms of your ultimate eternal salvation. But God, would you deliver me out of this mire and let me not sink in it? Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep water. So in modern vernacular and application, David's saying, what I'm in right now circumstantially is like a mire, and I don't want to get swallowed up in it. And this is a really good picture because sometimes your circumstances are like a mire around you and, and they, they, they threaten to swallow up your mind and your heart and your emotions. You ever have something that's just totally consuming you that you can't really be you? You can't really go home and be joyful and play with your kids and, and be happy with your wife and, or your spouse or your friends. You just want to withdraw. It's literally swallowing you up. David's saying, God, don't let these circumstances and these reproaches of other people dominate me and swallow me up. Let me live in your mercy and the truth of your salvation. Let me live with joy and rejoicing um, and not in the mire of these circumstances. Man, what a great prayer. Think about that today. Happy Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow.